Shalom, everyone, on this glorious, holy day of Shabbat. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And again, we want to give praises for allowing to the most, we want to give praises to the most high for allowing us to be able to listen. He woke us up this morning. We still have breath in our light, breath in, in us, and we are still in the land of the living. So we want to give all praises to Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha, because it wasn't for his son coming to die, we would probably not have a chance at redemption. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the pastor, Richard Washington, who will be coming up in just a second. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live, you can either, one, if you're watching live on YouTube, and you're watching on a tablet or you're watching on a computer, you can type a message in the chat or your comment in the chat and we would try to get to it online. And the other way you can send a comment or message is by emailing us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. If you see it on the lower part of your screen, that's where you want to email us at your comment or question. And we would try to get it to it, get it to you live. Uh, I don't know if you've been with us these past few weeks, the pastor has been giving us a study on the destiny of disobedience. So if you're wondering why the African-Americans, black people here in America, the descendants of slaves, and not even just here, that's all over the world. That was ancestors was part of the transatlantic slave trade. The pastor is tying all of that to scripture so you can understand why things are going on. Like you see the George Floyd, uh, Trevon Martin, all these different people we were slaughtered and taken down. Emma Till. You want to know how all of this relate to the scriptures. Well, you have to tune in. If you had, if you haven't tuned into the previous, I suggest you go back and look at one through four. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. So, Pastor, we are on with the Destiny of Disobedience, Part 5. Part 5, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, Last discourse that we gave concerning the Destiny of Disobedience, uh, we had come up to the time in which many over in Europe, they were coming over to the Americas in order to establish uh, religious freedom and to be able to start a new country in the sense of uh, being able to not only have a government for the people, but also that each individual who believes that the government would not govern their beliefs, because we know over in Germany, they have a church and state together. The church is governed by the state, but over in America, they could have their religion, and not to be governed by the state. So we want to continue where we have left off. So let us pray. Eternal Father, as we continue to look at your people and how they came through history and with some of the atrocities that they have gone through and moreover, how the covenant was broken and as a result of the covenant being broken, they ended up in institutions that they did not desire to be in. But as you continue to work with your people, Lord Heavenly Father, we know that you are bringing it back to us, the knowledge of why we broke the covenant and how we can come back to keeping your covenant. So we ask 
that again, as we open your word and to be able to speak from the scriptures, the things that you would have us to do, that we may be students of the scriptures to be able to obey when we hear your voice, that we may be able to walk into the way that not only leads out of captivity, but to lead into the freedom of the kingdom of Elohim. So bless the speaker, bless my host, bless each listener that we may benefit by it. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, we want to use for our first text uh, a scripture found in the book of Revelation. I want to look at the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we want to consider in the book of Revelation chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we want to look at verse number 14. That's Revelation 12, 14. And here the Bible tells us in the 14th verse of the 12th chapter of Revelation, it says, And the woman were <clears throat> and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, and she, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. So what we see here is give it a prophecy about the woman who we consider the church, that she was given wings that she should be able to go into the wilderness. And as she would go into the wilderness, she would find a place, which means that she was able to escape the persecution of the dragon, which was the persecution of the church that was going on in the European empires and that she may be able to find safety. And it says she would be there for a time, times and a half a time, which we know to be the spirit of the, which we know to be the period of the papacy. The papacy ruled and reigned from the years 538 to 1798. And that, in that scope of time. And if you add those days up, it says for a time. And when we talk about times, we're talking about a year, which is 360 days. And then you talk about times, which would be two years, which would uh, be uh, 360 plus uh, twice. And then you had a half a time, which would be a year and a half, but not a year and a half, but a half a year, which would be uh, 180 days. So when you take uh, a time, which is 360, and I believe uh, times, which is 720, and also a half a year, which would be 180, you come up with uh, 1,260 days, but in biblical prophecy, oftentimes the day, it stands for a year. So you would have 1,260 years. So when you start at 538 B.C. to 1798, in which the Roman uh, Catholicism was the time of the papacy, there were many changes. There were many changes. However, in addition to those changes that the papacy was getting into the church, you find not only that there was changes, but there were other things were taking place during this period of time. And we want to read now in Revelation uh, 13, 11. And in Revelation 13, 11, it says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, 
and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. Now, many Bible commentaries and many Bible scholars and preachers, we know this text to mean that during that 1260-year uh, period, that some changes not only occurred over in Europe, but over here in Americas, we find that a beast came up out of the land of Americas, and it said it was a lamb-like beast, and it had <clears throat> two horns. And the reason why it had two horns was because of the fact it was going to be a religio-political power or political religion. One horn was religion, and the other was <clears throat> the ecclesiastes. Uh, uh, the other one was the political power. So you had <clears throat> the religion and you had the political. So while many over in Europe were escaping to the Americas for religious freedom, simultaneously, slavery was also being instituted here as well. While slavery was being introduced into this country, a new type of government was also implemented, which was one that she could separate the church from the state. It was the government, it was a government considered to be a political religious one, unlike Germany, where one's religion was tied in with the state. Moreover, unlike Germany and Europe, of which was governed by a monarchy, even Rome, before it embraced a religion, was ruled by emperors. America would be ruled by a republic composed of a parliament, which we would call the Congress or the Senate. The people in this new form of government would have a voice in both how the country should be run and who should run it. So they was getting ready to dictatorship rulership over here in America. And this is one of the reasons why they fled over here to start that type of government. While this country, while this new country of the Americas was developing into <clears throat> one which would be largely governed by the people, yet this new form of government would not only be without its flaws, while the people of this country would not be under a monarch, it would accommodate slave trafficking. They would say of slave traffic. The enslavement of many of the people coming from the continent of Africa weren't Africans, as many scholars might espouse. Before the land we call Africa, which was named after the Roman emperor, Scipius Africanus. However, the Bible refers to the land we call Africa as the land of Ham. So what we want to do is understand that everybody that came from the land of Africanus or Africa, they were not Africans no more than everybody here in America is Americans. So let's, let's go to First Chronicles. Let's go to the book of First Chronicles. And in First Chronicles, we want to look at verse or chapter, that is, chapter 4, First Chronicles, chapter 4. 
Now, here in chapter 4 of First Chronicles, we want to look at uh, verse number 40. First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 40 says, And they found fat pasture and good, and the land was wide and quiet and peaceful, for they of Ham had dwelt there of old. Okay. So the land, I understand that uh, they were dealing with, as they was con making a conquest over the Amalekites, is that they said the land was good, it was wide, and it was quiet and peaceful. And they say that they could trace this land back to Ham of old, okay? So we see that when Ham, which was one of the three sons of, uh, of, of Noah, which was the third son that was born, that Ham, if you look at the gene genealogy, he spread it over a certain uh, land mass in the place we call Africa. But see, then the Bible had no knowledge of Africa back then. That was later added. When we talk about the land of Ham, that goes back before they were calling the land of Africa. So what we see here is that uh, this land of Ham was already uh, established. Now let us go to the uh, the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. And in, the, and in the book of Psalms, we want to go to the 105th division, Psalms 105. So there's a couple of verses we want to read in Psalms 105. And the first verse that we want to read is verse 23. Now here's, here the psalmist psalmist is pointing out to us in verse 23 of Psalms 105. He says here, Israel also came into Egypt. So the Bible is saying that Israel, remember Israel was, his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. It said he came into Egypt. Now you should remember when Joseph was down there in Egypt and they had the famine and when Joseph saw his brethren, and he began to uh, be crafty with them to find out were they now converted, he had began to uh, probe into their life. And as a result, when they had come up there during the years in which they were having famine, and he saw them, then he took one of them, and he sent the rest of them back home, and they had to go again to get some food. And when they went back down there, uh, they had to tell their father that if you didn't send Benjamin down, that we couldn't get the food. And even though Jacob at that time was reluctant to send Benjamin, he ended up sending him. And so it says that when Israel also came into Egypt, so that was the time that he came into Egypt during the time of the famine, and the Bible goes on to say in verse uh, 23, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Okay, now what does that tell you? Okay, that tells us that Israel, and he also points out about Jacob, because they was one of the same person, and this is what we call the Hebrew uh, parallelism. In their poetry, the way they dealt with issues, they, they would take two thoughts and they would express them in different ways. 
So he says here, Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Now, when we put Egypt and Ham together, what does that say? That says that Egypt was actually in the land of Ham. Now, how do we substantiate that? Now, here's a text I don't think I I uh, initially put in the list of the texts that I currently have, okay? But here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to um, the text that I didn't currently put in there, and that's found in uh, Genesis chapter 10. Okay, now, when you go to Genesis chapter 10, uh, in verse 6, notice what it says. It talks about the sons of Ham. It said, and the sons of Ham, they were Cush and Mizraim and Foot and Cana. Now, Mizraim, that's Egypt. Mizraim, that's, that's Egypt. So when it says here, when it says here in verse 23 of Psalms 105, and Israel also came into Egypt, that was Mizraim, which was uh, named after one of the sons of Ham, okay? And then it goes on to say, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. So in the land of Ham, we find that one of the sons of Ham was in G Egypt, and they called it Mizraim, which we call Egypt today. So we know that Egypt is in the land of Ham. Never said he was in the land of Africa, because Africa did not exist at this time. And so in the same 105th chapter of Psalms, we now want to go to verse 27. And verse 27 says this, And they showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. Okay? Now, if you read, if you read further down underneath uh, verse 27 of, and, of, of 105th Psalms, if you read down <clears throat> what they are talking about, the signs of them and wonders in the land of Ham, that was talking about the ten plagues that Moses was dealing with down in Egypt. But he didn't call it Egypt. What did he call? He called it the land of Ham. That's what it was called, the land of Ham, because Egypt, which was one of the sons of Ham, also were in that land, but the overall land was called the land of Ham. Okay, that's what it was called, the land of Ham. So in the land of Ham, even after uh, Israel and Jacob and Ham and all of them was off the scene, and Moses uh, was down there after Joseph had gotten his family down in the land of Goshen, which was read adjacent to Egypt, then the Bible says there rose up a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. He was very unfriendly to them. So they had taskmasters overworking them. And as a result, Elohim touched the heart of Moses to go down and to tell those pharaohs to let my people go. And since they didn't want to let him go, he put those 10 plagues that is talked about in the 105th division of Psalms from verse 28 to around about uh, uh, verse 41. But the thing that we're looking at what did it say? In verse uh, 27, it says, He showed his signs among them and wonders in the land of Ham. Okay. Now we want to turn to uh, Psalms 106 division. 
And in that 106th division of the Psalms, we want to look at verse number 22. Verse 22 of the 106th division of Psalms. Now, he says this. It said, Wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the sea. Now, what does that say? That is saying that when you worked all of those miracles there and the firstborn died in Israel, which was the 10th plague, they let Israel go in a hurry. Matter of fact, they would even, the Israelites would even go to the doors of the Egyptians to borrow stuff. And when they talk about to borrow, it wasn't a borrowing that they're going to pay back. They got things from the Egyptian people for the slave labor that they had performed down in Egypt. And they got these gifts and they went from Egypt. So in verse 22, it says, he works wondrous, wondrous works in the land of Egypt. So when they saw all of those plagues and stuff down in Egypt and the Pharaoh saw what was going, they said, better let these people go. And so when they let them go, they borrowed stuff from them and they were on their journey and they started on their journey on the midnight of the Passover. Okay. It said, wondrous works in the land of Ham. And then the latter part of the verse says, and terrible things by the Reed Sea. Okay, now, let's let's look at that. Because it's pointing out some geography here. It's saying not only was Egypt in the land of Ham, but the Reed Sea, that he did terrible things. What terrible thing did he do? He parted the Reed Sea, and the Israelites went across. And when they got across, Moses stretched forth his rod and when he stretched forth his rod, the Egyptians who were attempting to do the same thing that the Israelites was doing, that water came in on them as they were trying to go through the Reed, the Red Sea, which they called the Reed Sea, but that was a typographical error in which they put two E's in, 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 in the word R-E-E-D. Instead of putting two e, uh, E's, they put one E, and we have the Red Sea today, but actually it was not really the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea, R-E-E-D, the Reed Sea. And so when they went down to the Reed Sea, what happened was uh, the Bible says that the angel of Yehoah began to take off their wheels, and, they, and when, they drave, when they drove those chariots, they began to get heavy because the wheels were sinking in the sand down underneath there. And then when Moses put his rod back across the path that they came, then the waters returned back to their full strength, and all of those chariots, they were drowned in the sea. And so he is saying that the Reed Sea that they were crossing was in the land of Ham. That was in the land of Ham. So consequently, the land of Ham included Egypt and the Red Sea and also it, we 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 look at uh, down in the land of Goshen where Israelites' people were. They also were the, were a part of Egypt. So when we look at Egypt and the Red Sea and the places that Jacob were, they were called the land of Ham. So now. <clears throat> From this, we can draw the conclusion, if Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, 
would it be too much of a stretch of our imagination for some of the offspring of Jacob, who was renamed by Elohim Israel, would have inhabited the land of Ham, of which we now call Africa. Now, we have to believe that, before they called it Africa, that Elohim's people were down in Africa. They were not in Europe. They were down in Africa. But before Africa, we had Ham. So that's where they, they were dwelling. They were inhabitants of the land of Ham, of which we now call Africa. Therefore, we can assume, and rightly so, that some of the children of Israel were in the slave trade coming into this newly developing country, this country that had wanted religious freedom. They wanted to separate church from state. However, we must not limit slavery uh, uh, to here in the Americas, but it was also prevalent throughout the world. Slavery was not just here in America. But the thing that we're looking at is that America is coming up as a young nation, and while it wanted religious freedom, it was still accommodating slavery. Because when you look at the time frame of which the papacy ruled from 538 to 1798, slavery was coming into this country. Along with them trying to get a religious freedom, slavery was also coming into this country. And it's going to have its great influence on this country from the time they had slavery up until today. Now, when we look at slavery and we study the transatlantic slave trade, we discover that people from the land of what they call Africa were taken to other parts of the world, not just the United States. They were taken for other parts of the world as well. Now, if we say that the first documented evidence of slaves coming into the colony of Jamestown, Virginia, in 1619, and we look at the date 1619, that would fall within the time frame of the papacy between 538 and 1798. Slavery was being introduced into this country during the time of the papacy was doing what it was doing. And so what we want to consider are a number of factors which were brewing around slavery. Slavery was not only inhumane for the enslaved people of the land of Israel, but this inhumanity of man against his fellow man also had a reverse effect upon the slave owners. A lot of times we say how they dehumanize the, the slaves and how they mistreated them. This is true. This is true. However, this re reverse effect produced a feeling of guilt within the slave owners to the extent that they had to find a way to justify their inhumane treatment of another fellow human being. So what did they do to try to justify enslaving the Israelite people that had come from Africa? It said <clears throat> their justification was that black people were not actually persons, but were objects or like animals to be dealt with as one so desired. 
even in the constitution of the government, this country, the enslaved people were referred to as chattel. They were mere property or some type of commodity to be traded or sold or, or bought like cotton or any other unhuman thing in the marketplace. They just looked at them as a piece of property. And why was that? They wanted to justify their conscience because they knew it was wrong to treat another fellow human being the way that they were treating them. So in order to justify their conscience, they said, well, they're not really people. So if they ain't people, they ain't nothing but animals, we can do what we want to do with them. Now, this is not to say all people over in America thought that way. They, they didn't think that way. Some did. And even some of the ones who pretended to think that way, they still feel guilty about the fact that they were enslaving the people and treating them inhumane. So some of the slave owners went along with this, while others may not, but they tolerated it because of the economical advantage it afforded them. If they can make money on it, even though I don't believe it's right, then I want to make that money. There were a, there were a, a, there were uh, abolitionists who sought to get rid of the institution of slavery here in America. Even so, even the so-called Christians endorsed slavery as well. For those who advocated the institution of slavery, they even managed to have a slave Bible, whereby passages were deleted that spoke about slavery, and such passages as endorsed it were left in there. Even though the, Bi the slave Bible gave Yah's people the outcome of what would cause them if they broke what 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 in other words in the bible itself it told y'all's people what would happen to them if they broke his covenant and when they broke his covenant then they found themselves reaping the curses that the bible had already given to them which was found in deuteronomy 28 but we're not going there we dealt with that a little bit last week yet he also had given them his covenant, how slaves or servants should be treated, okay? So, yes, it was true that one of the curses that they had was slavery, but there were some things that we need to look at. So these passages were overlooked or extracted from the Scriptures. By participating in this inhumane institution of slavery, this country was involved in violation of two of the most vital principles which govern man's relationship to his fellow man. So what we want to look at is two principles. Now, we're going to deal with one principle today, and next week we'll get to the other principle because some of them need to be explained so we can understand what's going on here. And we find this first principle established by Elohim himself in the creation of Adam and his wife Eve, when he said uh, concerning the covenant blessings in Genesis 1.28. So let us turn to Genesis 1.28, and we want to look at an established principle that Elohim gave to his people from the beginning of creation. So when we look at Genesis chapter 1, 
we want to consider verse number 28, Genesis 1:28. Now, what does it say? Now, here in Genesis 1:28, it tells us, And Elohim blessed them, and Elohim said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Okay. That was the blessing that Elohim had given to Adam and Eve. Okay. Now, this passage points out very clearly that Yah's intentions was never that man should rule over another human being. He spelled out his boundaries of man's rulership and dominion very distinctively and clearly. He was to rule over the earth and all of the resources along with having dominion over the fish, fowl, and every living creature. There isn't anything within Yah's covenant of man ruling or having dominion over his fellow man. Moreover, even after sin entered into this world and servitude was practiced, Yah designed it how it should be carried out. As a matter of fact, he not only spelled out how a servant or a slave should be treated, but also how long they should serve. And that brings us to our second principle, of which we will start with next week. Eternal Father, we are trying to trace where your people come from and where your people are going. And we ask that as we get on this track, that we may be able to see clearly what is happening in the United States of America with your people. So help us to understand it, that we may be able to better deal with it and to be able to come back to your covenant. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So, um, now you were saying that there was a, there was a way that the uh, slaves are, should be treated. Mm-hmm. In, we'll in deal the, with that next week, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so even though we, and it's probably next week, but I just want to, even no, though we um, ancestors went into slavery mm-hmm. and even though the scripture said uh, our ancestors was going to go into, there mm-hmm. was a certain way we should have been treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, according to the uh, according to the Hebrew slaves, he, he gave them a ex- explicit instructions of how to treat a slave. There so, was never that inhumane treatment. Now, what w- did that apply to other nations? Because if Hebrews knew. But mm-hmm. what about the other the other nations, the Gentiles and the people from the line of Ham? Well, they must have known it. Why would they have a slave Bible? They they knew that. Mm-hmm. That's why they got the slave Bible. Mm-hmm. And the slave Bible took out all of the text that shows them how to treat them in the time they should be in slavery. They wouldn't have been there in 400 years if they had to follow uh, Elohim's. Yeah, they knew it. And this is why during slavery, they did not want you to learn how to read or write because you would have learned that. And then if you did learn to read and write, they had taken it out of the Bible 
and they just endorse scriptures like uh, obey your uh, uh, slaves, obey your master. Mm-hmm. But they didn't show other stuff of how the master should have been uh, treating uh, the slave in a humane way. It was inhumane. Yeah, they knew that. They were the fathers of the country. Thomas Jefferson, Adam, and all of and and George Washington. They mm-hmm. were the fathers of the country. They read the Bible. Why would why wouldn't they know this? Mm. So, with with that, does that mean too that with them uh, violating Yah's laws on having servants, will they or their descendants have to atone for that? Also, yeah, not only yeah, not only their descendants, but they got to understand that a lot of the atrocities that they put upon the people that were wrong, even though they knew it. Some some might not have known it. They they may not, but they knew conscious wise that that it was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the reasons they're gonna get retribution from Elohim, because not just because of slavery, but because the way you treated your slaves. Mm. And this is why uh, in times past, a lot of times when they had uh, hurricanes and 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 stuff like that, mm-hmm. that was a retribution of Elohim. They couldn't control it because Elohim was doing it. And then when they reached reach, reach the point that uh, they were going to have a civil war, England, uh, who a lot of people, they had come from the Europe and England and different places to establish a new country, that when they saw the institution of slavery, England wanted to come in to help uh, emancipate or get, get slavery out of the land of America. But... When they saw that Lincoln and a lot of the other leaders of the nation of of America did not want to get rid of slavery, then they didn't even enter into the war. And when they had the Civil War, they had to loss of so many lives. But even Lincoln, when he was talking about writing the Emancipation the Proclamation to free the slave, mm-hmm. it was not just totally free the slave because he had a conscience to free him, mm-hmm. but he did not want to divide the Union. He wanted to have a solid union where all of the colonies and everybody came together. And if it meant freeing slavery, then he would free the slaves in order to get this country to be united, not necessarily just to get rid of them, because slavery was one of the highest economical bases in which America had in order to get free labor so that the people who owned the slaves, that they would be rich and the other people would be nothing but carpetbaggers and being taken advantage of. But two were were the slaves really freed though? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But when you look at the time of the Reconstruction, they were freed. But how can you get freedom of somebody keeping you in bondage almost four hundred some years, and then you say now you're free, and you don't give them any money, you don't you can give them any land, and we'll be talking about some of this when we uh, as we progress. Okay. Yeah, they was free, but free, free to what? And then they made laws that if you if you stayed up too 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 late, or if you didn't uh, have a job or something, and you and you were trying to make it in life, and they made the laws so structured that everything you did, you if 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 you if if you didn't do it according to the way that they had designed it, which they designed that you would fail, that you would be incarcerated. That's why today the incarceration is so high because the laws are different for his people than for their people. 
and, and this this is why you why why you have it. Yeah, they were freed off the plantation, yeah. but they were still incarcerated in the fact that they could not find jobs and 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 and, and things to make a livelihood. Because it, it seems like it went from uh, enslavement from a plantation to enslavement in a prison cell because. Uh, with the 13th amendment, even though you can go work, do whatever. If you was caught in the system, they can basically take your rights away and go right back into a slavery in a sophisticated way. Oh yeah. Well, you take the prison industrial complex. uh, It's an institution just like slavery. That's what Mm -hmm. it is. It's an institution. We look at it as a prison. No, it is a prison, but it's an institution. It's an institution to incarcerate, in a modern way, slavery. And it didn't and, and didn't stop with the prisons. It, we still have slavery. When people work in a grocery store or uh, different companies, then the, the slave owner is the is the person at the head of the company. Yeah. And the slaves are the people who work. And a lot of times, when you work on these jobs, they won't even give you health care until you're working on five five years and most likely going to try to get rid of you before you work five years. And as a result, you, you, you never get from the system what you put into it. Just like they did down in ancient Israel. Just like they did down in time of time of slavery. When they let these people go, a lot of them don't even have enough to make it in life. And so you see a lot of senior citizens working today. Why are those senior citizens working? That's because that the people that they work for didn't pay them enough. And so the, the little money they got coming in from Social Security, what do they have to do? They have to go augment that with another job of working maybe in a supermarket. And you got an old man, 95 years old, out there pushing carts. This is crazy. Yeah. That's because slavery has never ceased. It's just a new form of slavery. Yeah. And you got it in the athletic field and everything. You got basketball players making millions, but the, the, points, the people over the teams who are the slave owners, they are making billions. Yeah. But, you know, too, uh, you know, in regards to sports, to me, it's the same mentality that was on the plantation. When they had the best athletes on the plantation, they would take them to fight other plantation people. Mm -hmm. And those guys, they was in a little bit better, maybe had a little bit better home, better things and whatnot. And you see that today in sports that – you have pretty much a slave master over them, running mm-hmm. them. And if they get out of line, instead of physically beating them, it's more of a mental beating nowadays. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, it's just a combination of mental and, and physical because, see, what, what you're saying is is that when you look at football, okay, mm-hmm. and you look at slavery, mm-hmm. during the slavery, they worked, where did they work? They worked in the field. Mm-hmm. So when you deal with football, you still got a field. You got the football field. Mm-hmm, and then when you get when, when you deal with uh, golf, you got the golf course. That's the field. And when you deal with basketball, the basketball court is the field. Mm-hmm. The slaves are the football players. The slaves are the golf players. The slaves are, 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 are the one that work in the field. So when you got a basketball court, the slaves are the basketball players. Now I'll be so I wouldn't be that that I wouldn't be so hard down on that type of slavery because they getting they getting paid pretty good good money 
they're not called slaves. They're called servants or basketball players, but it's the yeah. same thing. But they are being paid so good that they don't they don't mind that type of slavery, you know. So I mean, that is a good good pay. But what I'm saying is, you got the fields in all of them. You got the slave field back then, but they was picking stuff. But the slave fields now is a different different type of fields. Do Do you think that maybe the powers that be, uh, you know, that was thinking about slavery was said to themselves? instead of just enslaving blacks that we could open it up to almost enslaving everyone and we will make more money that way. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think they had that in, in mass. See, once you start getting into uh, the money, that greed and stuff, mm-hmm. um, what people can't understand, if they do it to us, they're going to turn around and do it to their own people. True. You know, I, I don't think they made an exception, but I think when you talk about white privilege, I mean, they do have an advantage with the white privilege, but that white privilege is not gonna—it's not gonna get everybody. Yeah. Some of them, they gonna be have to be on the plantation too. Mm. Wow. Because I, I think even in the Book of Revelation, it, it talks about—if uh, I can find it—it it, it, it talks about the fact that in the end, in in end of time, uh-huh. that uh, we 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 still. We're still going to have uh, what we call slavery. You know, mm-hmm. slavery didn't end simply because of a stroke of a pen mm-hmm. uh, to sign the Emancipation Proclamation or that the Civil Rights passed a bill. It didn't end with that. Mm-hmm. When Lyndon Baines uh, Johnson signed the, uh, 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 the Civil Rights Act bill, when he signed that, I think in 19, what was that, 74 or something? But anyway... It didn't. It didn't end. It just said they got it on the books, mm-hmm. but they still practicing the same same thing. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't just write something in law, and then have it still going on. You got to also have the practices of it. You got to have the executive branch of the gum, government to come in and say, if it's in law, then we're going to enforce it. So where have they enforced it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We live in the same thing in the same way. That when Malcolm X was out here, when Dr. King was rocking, A. Philip Randolph and all of these people, when they were trying to get to civil rights, yeah. we're doing the same thing today. And then they want us to go to the polls to vote on November the 8th. Yeah. What are you voting for? Yeah. You're sure. voting for the same system to oppress you. Yes. Yes. Um, a question. We always hear about the land of Ham. Mm-hmm. But does the Bible say where exactly was the land of Shem? Because you always you always hear Ham a lot mm-hmm. uh, with Mitzrayim, and then I even look the name Libya comes up in the Bible, which is tied to Put, which was mm-hmm. one of Ham's sons. So I wonder, what was there uh, a land? What was the land of Shem, and is, if where was that located? Well, you see, Shem Shem was the he he Shem was the firstborn son uh, of uh of uh of Noah. Uh-huh. That, that's who Shem was. Okay, now if if you turn, I think in, in the tenth chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter ten, okay, it gives okay. it gives us uh Shem's descendants. And mm-hmm. a lot of times if you trace the descendants where they went, that's the land that they inhabited. But uh, some Bibles, I don't know if you may have a Bible, it have maps, and it shows you where this, uh, 
the sons of Ham went, the sons mm -hmm. of Japheth, which went over to the islands up north and all of that. And it shows you where the sons of uh, Shem went. Now, what we find in history is that the sons of Shem, they cohabitated a lot with the sons of Ham. Because you remember when okay. the Abraham's wife died, Sarah? Uh -huh. He went to the Hittites, and the Hittites was a part of the Hamitic uh, people, and that's how he got his burial ground. But as he went around, Canaan eventually became uh, the Semitic people's uh, 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 territory. Okay, now, uh, if you turn in the, in, in, into the 10th chapter of Genesis, mm -hmm. and we're going we to look at some of this, uh, uh, what we call the sons of Shem, Okay. okay. Now, if you look in the 21st verse of the 10th chapter of Genesis, it gives an idea of, of, of what, you, what you're asking. Okay. Now, it's, it's quite a bit. I'm not going to try to deal with all of it. It's kind of exhaustive. You can have, actually have a seminar on this. It said, unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. Now, Eber come from Avri, which means Hebrew. Okay. okay. And the brother of Japheth, the elder. So his brother was older than he was, which was Japheth, and, and uh, Shem was the holiest, was the, uh, was the oldest. Let me see. He said, okay, and the brother, Japheth, the elder, they say that he was the elder, but I, I checked it out. Even to him were children born, okay? okay? Now, when you look at verse 22, it says, the children of Shem was Elam, Asher, and Asphaxas, and Lud, and Aram. Okay, now, here's what I want you to look at. Uh, let's look at verse 31 of the same 10th chapter of Genesis. It said, these are the sons of Shem after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. Okay, now, these are the families of the sons of Noah after the generations in their nations. By these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So when you look at uh, a map today, when you look at Africa, what they call Africa, this, mm -hmm. the land of Ham was much larger. But if you yeah. notice on, over there by the Mediterranean Sea mm -hmm. and, and down underneath um, the European continent and around in the Palestinian area where Yeshua inhabited and all around there, that land was the land of Shem. But then when you go over to Egypt and uh, the Reed Sea that we were talking about earlier and the Nile River and all of that, that was in the land of Ham. And like I said, if you can get a map or pull it up, mm -hmm. you'll see that the land of Ham and the land of Shem, they were, had a close proximity. And as the sons developed and grew, like, uh, we had Judah, and Judah established a land around in the uh, the western portion, but the eastern portion, that that might have been more or less a ham, but the eastern portion, especially around the Great Sea or the Mediterranean Sea, a lot of those, they were uh, the Semitic people. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the Semitic people, they had like the land of Judah, you know, and they talk about the land of Israel and all of that. Mm -hmm. That is because the Israelites inhabited the land, so they named the land after Israel. And by the time Yeshua had come on the scene and the tribes were divided, 
they call all of that land the land of Judah, not just the land of Israel and Judah, but they call after it was uh, split up and Yeshua came, they called it Judah. This is why when Yeshua came, he talked to the woman at the well. He said, salvation is of the Jews. Why was he saying that? Because he came through the land of Judah. Mm. He, he came, he actually came because even the book of Hebrews said that he was not uh, from the land of Levi, but yet and still he was going to be our high priest, but he came through the land of Judah. And so he says salvation of the Jews because Jews were the people who was to give salvation to the world, even though at that time you had the sons of Benjamin and different other sons that Jacob had. But at this time in history, they was called Judah, even though they may have been of different tribes. Okay. And uh, you also have said that the papacy rule was from 538 to 1798? Yeah, approximately. This is what the historians give, and during that period, a lot of changes in the church had taken place. And uh, was was there anything that replaced their rule after 1798? Of the papacy? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it was. Uh, what, what it was is that that was a time that a lot of changes like the Sabbath and the feast days and dietary laws, that, that was that time a lot of changes was taking place. But now uh, in the Catholic Church, I don't think they go uh, by the papacy. Well, they go by the papacy, but what I'm saying is they have what you call the consuls, you know, uh, they got like Vatican one and Vatican two. And if you, mm -hmm. if you can sometimes just, if you got some time, go search out Vatican two and some of the changes that happened during Vatican two mm -hmm. after Vatican one. And, 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 and they, they'll tell you a lot of the other changes that were, that were, that were being taken place as well. So they may not call it the, uh, the, the papacy, but they may call it Vatican one and Vatican two. Okay. And we have a question that was emailed in, and it mm. reads, Replenish means to fill up again. So in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 28, does mm. that mean the earth was once populated but destroyed? No, that don't mean that. No, I don't think that means that. Now, I've heard the theory about the earth was populated and destroyed. Now, that, that, may have, that may have been. But when you say replenish, uh, that can that can fall in two categories. Now, I'm gonna deal with your first. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with your. Uh, I'm gonna deal with the one about the earth being repopulated. I'm gonna deal with that second. But let me deal with the first one. Mm -hmm. When he made Adam and Eve, and he told them to replenish the earth, what he was telling them was that when you begin to eat fruit and take stuff from the soil of the ground you they knew they i mean they knew about agriculture and they knew that if they ate the fruit then the fruit had to replenish itself so either they took that seed from the fruit and put it back in the soil and so when they replenished it the seed that they put in the soil would replenish what they had that they had taken and if they had never sinned that would have gone on eternally. We will never have to worry about food like we do today. People taking the food away from you to make you do certain things. That would have never happened because every time they ate the food, they had to see it would reproduce. It would reproduce after this kind. That's that's to replenish. Just like when they had children, they were to replenish the church with the, the world with children. It doesn't mean that they had a previous human race here 
because they replenish the world with children. No, it just means that when they had children, their children would have children, their children, children would have children, their children, 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 children would have children. That's a replenishing, not that it was it was here before. And a lot of times, that's when I tell people to try to go back to the Hebrew word of some of these things because our word re, re means that it was something before, but not in this sense, not from the Hebrew understanding of it. Okay, let's go to your second theory that uh, this world was inhabited uh, uh, before uh, uh, Adam and Eve came here, and so therefore he's going to replenish. All right, let, let, let's let's go back now. If we're going if we're going to deal with that theory, one of the things that we have to go back to, if we if if we really gonna make some sense out of it and be uh, rational with what we are saying, we have to go back to Genesis chapter one. And so when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2, it says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Okay, now, if on the first day, in the first verse of this Bible, it said that he created the heavens and the earth, okay, it's not saying anything that it was populated or, or anything, okay? And then... To top it off, we go to verse 2, it says, and the earth was without form and void. Okay, now if it was form and void, then that means we don't have any living matter here. Our only living matter that we have at this time is what the Bible says, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. That was the only life that they had was the spirit moving upon the waters. So now, are we saying that when Elohim commenced, when he started the creation, it was without form and void, and everything was covered over with water, and he sent out his spirit. Are we saying that prior to his spirit moving upon the waters, that this, this place was inhabited, and then when it was inhabited, and some of the theories are it was inhabited by fallen angels, and this is where they came, and then they were destroyed while they were down here, and then when Elohim decided to make man, he took this place or this planet or this earth that was once inhabited by uh, fallen angels, which we call demons or devils, that when he got rid of them, then what happened was he now created this world again and to replenish it, not just with plants and animals, but he, re he, re he replenished it uh, uh, for, for Adam and Eve to be able to have an inhabitable place to live. Now, that's one of the theories I heard. Is it true? I don't know. I don't know. Because, let me see. If we go to the book of Peter, let's go to the book of Peter, I believe. Uh, and some people, let me see, book of Peter. Let's, let me see, I'm going to find out. Uh, I think it was, uh, uh, let me see. Let me see, whether it's first Peter or second Peter. Uh, all right, let's see what we got here. Let's see. And, uh, uh, all right, uh, let's see. And uh, let's, okay, it was, it, it was a text that Peter had here. Uh, and it was talking about that there was a flood or something that destroyed uh, the, the earth. Uh, in, in times past, 
And I think one of the texts was referring to uh, what we might say the time of the flood, okay? But then the other text, I believe, it was referring to uh, something that may or may not have been the flood in in, Nor in Nora's day. Uh, I can't put my finger on the text right now, but I think that uh, there is to say that there was life on this planet even before time and Adam and Eve had come to inhabit the planet. Was it? Is it Second Peter two five? Uh, let me. That might be it. Let me see. Second Peter two five. Mm -hmm. Let me see. You said okay. Let me. Let me that, 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 that might. That might be it. Sometimes I have to. Let me see. You said Second Peter mm -hmm. two five. Okay, Chapter let me read two, that. It said. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah. Okay, so we know that that's talking about the flood, uh, uh, the and the eight people that were saved. That was Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. He said, "A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world ungodly." Okay, so we know that's the flood, but it was another text I think that Peter uses. I'm, I wonder, is it found? Let me see. Let me see. Da, 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 da. Was this found in First Peter or is it Second Peter? Let me kind of browse through First Peter because this is not the only text that Peter referenced, you know, the destruction by by a flood. Okay. Okay, let me see. Can I browse through that? And if not, maybe next week uh we'll come back to it and 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 deal and deal with it. Okay. All right. Let me see. Yeah, da, da. Uh, let me see. Uh, oh, let me see. All right. Let me see. Yeah. yeah the only one when I search for the word flood in Peter, uh -huh. it only comes up in Second Peter. Only see. in Second Peter. Okay. So yeah. that unless that it's may some be... different name. Uh. Okay. Okay. I tell you what. Maybe. Maybe I might be mistaken, but I'll, I'll search it out. If I don't find it here, I'll search it out, uh, and then next week we'll come again. Uh, come again with it. But before we leave that subject, let's let us look at another text uh, that I might be having in mind, but I might be confusing it. I might be confusing this text with another another text. Okay. And let me see where's that text found. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's found in the book of Jude. In the book of Jude. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Marcus Shafsai, beloved. I thought it was a text in Jude that may have alluded to it, too. All right, well, let me go back. Uh, let me see. 
Trying to find something. Sometimes it's difficult to find them. Yeah, let's continue. Yeah. It was yeah. in the New Testament. Yeah, I was looking in the Book of Jude. I think the Jude Jude uh, seemed like he had something to say concerning this. Uh, yeah, da, da, da. No, he said. Well, here in Jude, uh, it only has one chapter. In verse 6, it says, And the angels which kept not the first estate, okay, the first estate. So where was the first estate? That was in heaven, right? That was in heaven. But left their own habitation, he has reserved an everlasting chains of darkness unto the judgment of this great day. So now we know that underneath the earth is where he stores the angels who had fallen. They in prison down, down there. That's when, when the Bible says that when the flood came in Noah's day, it destroyed. Now, if you notice the language of the Bible, it says it destroyed everything uh, upon the earth. Now, now, I want you to get that now, because a lot of people say, well, where did these giants come from? Where did, where did they come from after uh, he had destroyed the whole world? How come you have these giants in the time of Moses? When they went over to spy out the land, he said they were giants over in the land. And then when Joshua was coming into the promised land, he was still dealing with giants. They said, well, where did these giants come from? Well, you remember, Elohim didn't say he was going to destroy everything under the earth. He said everything upon the earth. So they were still reserved in prison. So when they left their first estate in heaven and, and, and they came down here, they were in prison in this earth. And some of the scholars are saying that uh, – when that when that happened and he destroyed the world uh, and water inundated the place, then they were locked in chains un under the earth. And so when they lived here for a while, after uh, it had been destructed, destroyed, and then when he made man, he came to, to the same place and he made man, then he replenished it because he had destroyed it from those beings who had lost their first estate. Those are some of the theories. Now, those theories I cannot, I cannot concretely ver verify, but those are some of the understandings that I have of them, and I'm still studying them for to see how uh, they can be validated. But that that is some of the things that transpired along with the question that you're asking. Okay, and we have another question. And it reads, doesn't Matthew 21, 43 tell us that the kingdom of Yah was taken away from his original people and given to a nation bringing forth fruits thereof? Uh, you said Matthew 20, 23, 41? 21, 43. Oh, 21, 43. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of Elohim shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth fruits there. Okay, now read that question again. Okay, and the, okay. Doesn't Matthew 21, 43 tell us that the kingdom of Yah was taken away from his original people 
and given to a nation bringing forth fruits thereof? Uh, well, again, I'm going to have to ask you in two ways on this text here. The first thing is, uh, uh, you know, the disciples, you know, they were also a part of the kingdom. But he didn't take it away from them. So, so what we're looking at, we we're looking at the fact that uh, if he took it away from anybody, it would be, uh, it would be some of some of the Jews, because if his his followers was also a part of uh, 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 of the Jewish nation or the kingdom of Elohim, uh, they they are the ones that continue to promote it and 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 to push it forward. Even Apostle Paul, you know. He killed Christians, but when he was converted, he wrote almost all the New Testament. And he he definitely talks about about the kingdom and how we should get ready for the kingdom, and that our kingdom is not of this world. So uh, uh, he didn't he didn't take it from all of his people. He took it away from some of his people, and he really didn't even take it away from them. Is that they spurned it? They didn't want it. So he said, "If you don't want it, I'm gonna give it to somebody else." And I think it was a Peter, he was a apostle to the Jews, and it was Apostle Paul, he was a he was he was apostle to the Gentiles, okay? So so uh the Gentile nation, they did come in and they accepted a lot of what was being taught from those who were teaching about the kingdom. Because when we read about Aquila and Priscilla, I think they were from one of them from, from uh, Greek origin, and they were a part of the nations. They received it. And matter of fact, they were instrumental in helping Apollos to really understand the gospel because he was just preaching uh, about Yeshua. And then in in Acts 19, when Paul asked these people who Apollos had preached to about the Holy Ghost, they said, "We ain't, we ain't heard about the Holy Ghost. Why didn't they hear about the Holy Ghost? Because number one." Apollos, he was only preaching the crucifixion of Yeshua, but he didn't know that Yeshua had come, and on the day of Pentecost, he had sent the Holy Spirit, and they said when Apollos understood what Aquila and Priscilla were saying, then he began to change, but here we're having Gentile people teaching even the Jewish people. Yeah, he did take it, take it away. But now, as a nation, now the second point I want to get across is, as a, as a nation, he may have taken it from from them as, as a nation. Because if you remember that, after the crucifixion of Yeshua, there was a lot of persecution going on with the church, and this is where they deal with the diaspora was the was uh, people who were fleeing for their lives because of the persecution. And so when the persecution was taking place, we find that also one of the persecutions that was going on before the apostle Paul was converted was that he was given by the Sanhedrin a letter to kill anybody who was a follower of the Messiah. And if you remember in the book of Antioch, it said they were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, what was Christians? Christians was the Greek name for the Messiah. So they was followers of the Messiah in Hebrew, but in, in, in Greek, they call him Christos. And so when you deal with Christos, you're dealing with Christianity. And then when you deal with the uh, Messiah, you're dealing with the Messianics. And so they would call Christians in. But the point that I'm trying to get at is that the Apostle Paul had been given authority from the Sanhedrin to take out anybody that, w- 
who were not going according to what they were teaching, and they was following the Messiah. And the Bible says that Stephen, one of the one of the deacons that they had chosen, he began to preach to them. I think this is found in the book of the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. And when he preached to them, they were everybody was in agreement with what he was preaching. But then when he came home with his preaching and told them that you were the ones that destroyed the Lord of life, you the one that destroyed the Messiah, the Bible says they began to stone him. And when they started stoning him, he looked up to heaven and he saw Yeshua on the right hand of the Father. And he looked at these people who were stoning him and he said, lay this not to your charge. Lay this not to their charge. And he laid down and died. And so it was at that point that they, Elohim was turning the gospel of the, uh, uh, of the kingdom from those of his people to the Gentiles. But that was prophesied that they would, uh, uh, according to the covenant, they said that Yeshua, according to Daniel, would be uh, slain in the midst of the week. You remember you had seven days uh, or seven years in the prophetical time chart of the 2300 days. But they said Yeshua, in three and a half years, he would be killed in the midst of the week. And so when you take eighty twenty-seven to eighty thirty-one, you have about three and a half years. And then the other three and a half years, Yeshua had already gone back to heaven. So the other three and a half years was when they stoned Stephen in A.D. 34. So when they stoned him in A.D. 34, that completed the week. And he said, now we turn not just to my people. He said, now we turn it over to the Gentiles. So in a way, you are correct. Yeah, he did take it from his people and give it to other people. Some of his people didn't want it. All right, and I think with that, we will go to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Good, and this weekend, let's talk about it. I want to talk about Halloween because it's in a few weeks. Some people celebrate it, some don't. But is there a wickedness behind it? And not even just with Halloween, with Christmas and Easter, um, are there are spirits associated with those things. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read one verse. If you can turn with me to Leviticus 19, verses 31. Again, that's Leviticus 19, 31. And it reads, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am Yahuwah Elohekah. So, I want to ask you that um, is celebrating Halloween and Christmas and Easter and whatnot. Do these things bring in familiar spirits into your homes and not even to your homes, also into your maybe your temples, your bodies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the text that you just uh, articulated, you say, regard not them that have familiar spirits. Mm-hmm. You know, what is a familiar spirit? <laughs> fallen demons and fallen angels that are familiar with you. And when they are familiar with you, you know, they know the customs and everything. Mm-hmm. And then it says, seek not after wizards, you know, those who practice the old code arts and stuff like that, and to be defiled by them. Okay, now, when we look, look at many of the holidays uh, that man has made, mm-hmm. Uh, these holidays cannot be substantiated by the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible condemns 
many of the very holidays that we, uh, even in the so-called Christian world, that we exalt very highly. Okay, so let, let, let's look at that and see what is the connection between uh, uh, the, had these holidays and the spirit taking possessions of our homes and our bodies. Now, when we consider the fact that uh, Halloween and Christmas and Easter and all of these, these things, when we consider the fact that they are something that man has come up, come up with, and not Elohim, then the first thing that we must do, if Elohim didn't establish, then we have to see what are these particular days teaching us, because not everything that is not not come from the Bible may not be wrong if you look at the principles in which they are articulating. Mm -hmm. So we have to look at we have to look at the days and see, well, what. What is in these days that that they are articulating? Okay. Okay. Now, if we can discover in these days what they are articulating, now we can say that how we are being possessed. All right. Let us let let us look at uh, uh, let us look at uh, First uh, Corinthians. That is, First Corinthians chapter six, and. We're going to look at verse number 19. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of Elohim, ye are not your own. Okay. It says, For ye are brought with a price, therefore glorify Elohim in your body and in your spirit, which are Elohim's. Okay, now, we want to look at the principle of this text. It says, first of all, we are what you call the temple for his spirit to dwell in. Okay. And then it goes on to say, we, we are not our own, you know, through the cross he bought us. So we don't have a right to put into uh, these temples of ours, our bodies, anything that is not his. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about a home, we're simply talking about those who cohabitate with us. That's our home. And the place that we stay. So now, if I allow a spirit to come into my body and I bring it home, then it's not only possessing me, but also my home. Mm. Okay, so let's look at uh, Easter. What What is the spirit of Easter? Mm -hmm. Well, when I was growing up, they used to have Easter egg hunts, and they used to stay up all night and die eggs and stuff. And why did you have eggs? Because according to the... Uh, Easter uh, tradition, it was, you know, uh, it was considered uh, an object of fertility. Yeah. Okay, why was that an object of fertility? Because usually Easter is celebrated during the time of the, uh, I think it was the the equinox. Was it the equinox or the salties, that is? And it happened around the spring of the year. Okay. Uh, uh I think it was town that bound the uh, 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 spring uh, equinox. Okay, yeah. all right. And then during the spring equinox, you had the the earth that had died during the uh, uh, the winter. They were now coming back in in the springtime. So what do you have in Easter? You have uh, uh, the fertility 
of of nature. So mm-hmm. it's in in a way is 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 you're worshiping nature, mm-hmm. and then okay. after the Easter egg, what do you have? You have the Easter bunny. Uh, well, why they have the bunny? Because you know, so bunny, they would have many offspring, and it shows fertility again. So what I'm saying is, are uh, you serving Elohim, or are you serving the earth? And I know I hear a lot of people talking about the Earth Day and all of that, mm-hmm. but the Earth has no day. You know, the only thing that the Earth has is that Elohim told us on the seventh they don't work the Earth and and stuff like that. But Satan can subtly have us worshiping nature without us knowing it. Wow. Okay. And so when you look at Easter, it has to come a certain time of the summer. Uh, 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 of the what they call the winter salties and the summer salties and the autumnal equinox and how are the equinox and the salties how are they determined? They are determined by the sun. So in, in in a very subtle attempt, when you celebrate Easter and and when you get ready to celebrate it, what what's the first thing they say? They say, well, we're gonna have a sunrise service. Well, you know the sunrise service that you're talking about having has to do with the sun. You, the sunrise service is actually a subtle attempt to get you to worship the sun. Mm-hmm. And then you come in with Easter and the Easter bunny and all of this other pagan stuff. All that stuff is in your spirit. Mm-hmm. So what's in your spirit is corrupting your spirit because Elohim has never told you to worship the sun. And a lot of the churches that have it, like the Roman Catholic Church and stuff like that, if you study the Roman Catholic Church, you see that behind a lot of the worship is the sun god. Wow. You know, when they, they show you chariots and then chariot wheel, mm-hmm. well, if you take an analytical look at the chariot wheel that they talk about on the chariot, it has a, the wheel has spokes in it, and the spokes goes into the axle of the wheel, and it, it looks like the sun. So you're not just talking about the chariot uh, a wheel, you're talking about the sun. And, and one of the words for sun in the Hebrew is shemish. Mm-hmm. Shemish means the sun. And if you look up that word Shemesh or sun in the Bible, it says that when uh, people of other nations, they had chariots, they called these chariots the chariot of the sun. So they had to do with sun worship. And then when you look at the Vatican and you go over to the Vatican, what you see is that when you go into the Vatican, it no matter which way you come into it, you go into a circle. And if you analyze that circle that is in the Vatican, it's in the shape of a sun. Wow. And so when you look at the architecture and, and, and the things that they have, it's, it's of the sun. Okay? So when you go from Easter to Halloween, what does Halloween mean? Mm-hmm. It means Holy Eve. That's what it means. But to them, they are saying that on the Holy Eve, that angels, or not angels, but they said that DC spirits of those who have died comes out of the grave and they roam the land to antagonize the people who are living. That's that's the thing. Is that the type of spirit that you want to have in your body? Is that the type of spirit you want to have in your home? No. He said, you want the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit points you where? He points you to the true Sabbath. He points you to his festival days, and the same spirit that says in Leviticus 19.31 is the same spirit uh, that it is telling you not to take into your body. 
mm. not to take into your man. Because if you do, you're going to corrupt your mind, your body, and your family, and your home. So no, those spirits should not be there. I remember, uh, so uh, years ago, you told a story, and maybe you can tell the people of how you encountered, I think it was in Muskegon, a woman, uh, and it seems like she was possessed, because you said, I think she was levitating. Oh, yeah, that was in Idlewild, even though you're right, we were living in Muskegon uh, at the time, but we was having an evangelistic meeting, and I think at this particular time, uh, we was fasting and praying for... uh, you know, Elohim to give us some souls uh, to be able to accept the truth. Mm-hmm. And so at one of my meetings, I think this lady had come. And I had no, at that time she had come, I had no idea of her background. And so we were fasting. And as we were fasting, we were, I think the only thing that we were drinking was carrot juice, you know, just, just carrot juice and fleshing our bodies out. So my wife at the time and me and her, we were doing the Bible work and we had others, but uh, since it was a small church, we we did Bible work together. So we went and we knocked on the door. And before I even knocked on the door, uh-huh. um, I think I had, I think there was other people that was with Carol and I. And, uh, and before we, we even went in, we said, uh, I don't know what impressed me, but I do know we were fasting. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, before we go into this house, I said, I said, let's pray. Something impressed me. He says, it pray. So we prayed before we went into the house. Mm-hmm. And then we got there and we talked to the lady and, uh, and we told her that we was from the Dickie Washington Crusade, because that was the name of the crusade at the time, Dickie Washington. Mm-hmm. And I said, you came to the meeting. We just come to visit you and see how you understand the subjects that we're preaching. And so when we got in and we sat down, she told me she was a formal seven-day Adventist. Mm, I said, oh, I'm not. Wow. And she said, uh, I uh, came to the meeting uh, because I, you know, I was a formal a- Adventist. And, and she said, but uh, in the meantime, I, I met this man, and he was there. He was there with her. You know, he was there with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, uh, he has been with me. And then one of the things was that when the man started talking, he, he told me, he said, uh, he said, a lot of this seminary education that you have, you know, you need to leave that alone. And I'm saying, number one, how did you know I went to the seminary? Mm. (laughs) You know, I said, I I don't know how you knew that. And then it was manifesting itself. And then he said, he said, "Why don't you come come with us and we can, we can, we can start a church for you?" And I said, "Well, where would you get the money?" He said, "He said you don't have to worry about the money." Wow. He said, "You don't have to worry about that." He said, "Come and join us and we can we can we can start a church with you." Uh-huh. And so that was kind of kind of queer. So I knew then that something of the old coat was going on, and then the lady that we was visiting, she said, "Well, yeah, I met him." She and and something was wrong with her, with her hand, mm-hmm. uh, arm or something, and she said when he came, he told me he could heal me, and she said, uh, but I didn't really believe him, and he did something and he made me well, but the reason why I cannot fully use my hand and arm is because I didn't fully believe him, but if I had fully believed him, 
I probably would have had the use of my limbs today. And he said one time uh, he was he was playing the piano in my house. He said one time he was playing the piano, and do you know he stopped playing the piano and the keys kept moving? Wow. And then I knew why Elohim had impressed upon me to pray. And so, uh -huh. and while he was there, she started jumping up and down and looked like it was levitation. I mean, for this old lady, for this elderly lady to be jumping like she was, and it looked like she was not really jumping. And some force was lifting her up and putting her down, lifting her up and putting her down. And I knew, and I just told my team, I said, y'all just pray. There's something going on here. And so we, we prayed, and uh, Elohim got us out of, out of that house without any kind of damage. But mm -hmm. uh, this lady who was once in the Advent Church, she got caught in spiritism. And what I found out in a lot of those places up there, mm -hmm. spirit, spirit, spiritism or spiritualism is very strong, especially places where there are not churches. They get a stronghold in there. And they get they get people who are weak, and when they get those people, they they chain them, you know. They take advantage of those people, but the fact is is that that demonic spirit had taken over her life to a certain extent. Wow, wow. That's why we, you know, it just seems when we start to celebrate these things, we opening up ourselves to all of this. And all to, you know, if it doesn't enter us, it may enter our kids or some other form in the house. And I'm seeing now like a lot of people are celebrating like they do Christmas, Halloween, and all these mm -hmm. decorations. And the decorations aren't wholesome when you really look at it. They're demonic. Mm -hmm. Skeletons, gargoyles, witches, warlocks, all those evil satanic things. And it's interesting because a lot of these things, it seems like they're trying to normalize it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing to it. And I think that's the problem. A lot of people think that these things, there is nothing to it. But that's what Satan wants us to believe. There's nothing to it mm -hmm. because he's the master deceiver. Yes, yeah. You know, and and even though we try to be on a straight and narrow, I, I believe, you know, he been he has studied us because I think. Is it not true that just as well as we have a a uh, angel devoted to us from the Most High, that Satan may have an angel devoted to doing the same thing, watching you, and how ways he can try and get you? Yeah, that's what we talk about in your text, in yeah. Leviticus nineteen thirty one. That's a familiar spirit. He's yeah. familiar with you. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Mm -hmm. You're right. Right. See, another thing is when you look at Elohim, you know, on his on his festival days, he has a diet, uh -huh. and everything that is in that diet is wholesome for you. Yeah. And along with the demons' holidays, they have a diet, uh -huh. and they said some of the largest sales of candy is on Halloween. I think in uh, in Easter. Uh -huh. and so Christmas is not too far behind. Wow. That they have all of this candy, and you know. People eating a lot of this candy, which there's no, no vitamins in it. It's just plain sugar. And when you eat a lot of sugar, what happens? You become addicted to it. And you keep on eating it. And what happens? You got diabetes. And when I was coming up, they used to say, y'all eating all that candy? 
y'all gonna get sugar diabetes. Okay. <laughs> but they were they were they were telling the truth. Mm-hmm. A lot of people eating all this candy and getting diabetes have to sit on a dialysis machine. And they're drinking all of these Coca-Colas and all of this pop and all of this stuff that has sugar in it with no vitamins. They, they are destined to sit on a dialysis machine. And so they are destroying, they're not only destroying uh, their bodies, but if you don't get the proper nu- nutrients in your body, you're also destroying your mind. Mm. So that's a demon going into your body and, you, and your mind. Wow. Eating all, eating all, eating all of that, that, that those uh, uh, devitalized uh, sweeteners that you, that you got. A lot of people eating a lot of corn syrup, and that's the worst thing to cause your blood pressure to go up, because that that corn uh, sugar is very very high, and and, 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 uh, and what we might it doesn't really have any carbohydrates in it. Stuff you use is 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 just that sugar that is spiking your blood. You know, and if you eat that sugar and drink milk, it's produced a lot of sugar just produces alcoholic effects in, into the body. That's why a lot of people crave for alcohol, not because they've been drinking liquor, but because they eat a lot of sugar and it wow. produces an alcoholic effect. And so they are destroying themselves that way through they through their diet. Yeah. Wow. That is true. Well, Pastor, can you take us Give us a word of prayer before we get ready and close out this podcast for this week. Okay. Hello, and Father, again, we thank you that we can come together again. It's just a delight to be able to come together and to fellowship, to ask questions, and to peruse through the Bible. And as we see our people in the Bible, oh, Heavenly Father, and what has happened to them in, in times past, and also what has happened to us today, and what would happen to us in the future, that we may take heed to the things that you have given us that we can be on the same page in your covenant that you would have us to be, that we can be able to get the things that our forefathers has forfeited because they broke your covenant. So we ask that as we continue to study the destiny of the disobedient, Lord, that we may be found to be the obedient. Continue to bless each person who listens, bless their families, their loved ones, and continue to give them the prosperity, Lord, that they stand in need in spite of the poverty that is on this planet Earth. Pray and ask, Lord, for my host and his family, that thou would do to him that which is needed. Be with me and my family, O Heavenly Father, and give us the things, Lord, that we need. Now, if it be your will, O Heavenly Father, bless us to come again next Shabbat that we can enter into another discussion, another discourse, and another fellowship. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Let everybody say, Amen, amen. and, and amen. amen. Well, we hope you have enjoyed our podcast for today we will be back next shabbat next saturday uh, again at our regular time at 1 p.m that is our podcast for this week if you have any questions or comments please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com O ye seed of Yasharel, his servant ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones he is yahuwah eloheinu His judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.